and welcome to Board Game Famous, where the Venn diagram between our podcast and a murder mystery podcast would be the board game clue. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. What do you think of that intro? <laughs> I mean, there are a lot more uh, murder mystery board games out there. You have Micro Macro, you have... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Chronicles of Crime, all the versions of it. Uh, you have Hong Kong Detective. It's good because everyone can relate to Clue. <laughs> good intro. <laughs> we start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? So, I haven't been playing a lot of board games recently. At time of recording, COVID cases are up. Some people I know have gotten COVID, and I am currently self-isolating. But I will talk about what I have played a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago. These are a couple games that we played together with with family over the holidays. One of them is a game that we've had in the family. Does does Andrew own it? It's either Andrew or Nate. It's been at our house for a few years. It's been in our house for a few years. It's quick and easy. Uh, it is something that we can get to the table really easily, which is Cult Express, published by Ludonaut. I would describe it as a Western programmable game basically you are all these western characters on a train trying to get as much loot from the train as possible before the end of the fourth fifth round yeah there's five there's five rounds in the game and uh each round you get to play a certain number of cards and those cards are specific actions and you're basically programming what your character is going to do my favorite part uh, is that you play these action cards face up, usually face up. So if you're punching somebody to try and steal their loot, that character can see you doing that and immediately <laughs> retaliate. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was getting at is some cards that you play, you play uh, face up. Some of the cards that you play, you play face down. But basically, you're trying to create this entire round of actions and the vast majority of cards you play can be seen by the other players, and you can, and they can work to foil your plans. <laughs> mm -hmm. And because some of the cards are going to be played face down, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen. <laughs> and it's always hilarious that as soon as you go around multiple times, queuing up your cards to see what actually happens during that round, <laughs> mm -hmm. each character has a gun with six bullets and whenever you shoot another player uh you give them a bullet card which just basically clogs up their deck and makes it less efficient yeah this is a this is a game that's a few years old it won the spiel de Jahres in, in 2014 i think and it's something we've had for a few years at our at our at my parents house and it hasn't it hasn't seen play in a while then all of a sudden we were just around for christmas looking for a game that would fit five six people we pulled it off the shelf and we just played game after game and it has an amazing train set piece that you get to set up on the middle in the middle of the table with a bunch of rocks and cacti <laughs> scattered <laughs> around it so the theming is also really good does it actually need a full train that's built that you have your characters walk around on no are we glad that they put that in there? Absolutely. Well, you say we. That, that's the universal we. I myself have uh, Jimmy Dean sausage fingers. Sponsored. This episode, <laughs> by the way, is sponsored by Jimmy Dean. Uh, shout out to Jimmy Dean. Shout, shout out to, to Jimmy. Shout out to Jimmy Dean. 
<laughs> so I can't I can't quite get those meeples or the the loot tokens from the train car without knocking half the train over. It feels <laughs> so I would have appreciated it, an, an alternate method or an alternate way to play. And they have since then come out with Cult Mini Express or Ultra Cult Express or something like that, where it's it comes in an even smaller package because it's not a large game. Most of the box no. size is devoted to the train cars that that you play on just a deck of cards. So I might actually appreciate that that version a little more for myself. I like the train. I like train. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the other game that I played over the holidays is a game that I got for my brother for Christmas. For uh, me? Every, not you. <laughs> uh, every year we do a Secret Santa-like event between all the siblings we call it brother gifts very um, original <laughs> very original <laughs> now that i have a sister-in-law david's wife <laughs> you may long-time listeners may have heard of her <laughs> <laughs> we still call it brother gift with her <laughs> we still call it brother gifts but it's actually brother gifts plus ellen <laughs> uh but i got him galaxy trucker for brother gifts and uh, the second edition of Galaxy Trucker that was just released that was just released by Czech Games. Uh, so it plays a lot like the first edition, but it has additional rules where instead of always playing a level one, a level two, and a, then a level three, and that's a complete game, it has rules where you can just jump in and play a level two mission, or you could just jump in and play a level three mission. So you don't necessarily have to play one, two, and three. So that's a lot of fun. So he was he got that to table. We played the quick tutorial of that. Uh, great job by Czech Games to having a quick teaching tutorial in that game. Really just shows you all the mechanics nice and easily. Um, and then if we could just set it up and play whenever we wanted, just like we were talking about for Cult Express, we could just sit down and say, oh, let's play a level three mission. Let's just see some silliness. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that was a lot of, a lot of fun of building a ship that delivers goods and goes on all these missions. That's going to get obliterated to pieces. And it was nice seeing the other day him post a picture on the discord of him completing a shout out for our discord. Shout out for our discord. <laughs> shout out. Uh, link in the description <laughs> uh, of our brother posting a picture of him completing a round of galaxy trucker with just a single capsule for a crew member, which you have to have at least one crew member left and an engine. <laughs> yeah, that is like, that is almost the exact minimum left of your ship you can have. I think you can survive with just a single crew pod, but you have to get lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so actually, uh, Andrew was the brother who owns this game was actually up in St. Louis and we had dinner the other night, and he was ta telling me about that game, and he said he took an asteroid and had to lose pieces off of his ship. However, the va if, if he had lost fewer pieces, he would have had no crew left and would have lost. So he chose to lose, I think he said about 80% of his ship, to keep <laughs> his only remaining crew member left. Much success. <laughs> he barely survived. And I don't know if it's true for the... Uh, the new edition but the older editions used to have a rule or like in the back of the book would say hey if you survive you win the game essentially uh <laughs> now sure whoever makes the most money wins 
I say for Galaxy Trucker, winning is having fun. (laughs) (laughs) I have never played that game, and I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do to make sure that I get the most money. I'm just (laughs) like, what kind of stuff am I going to have to deal with that's going to be hilarious? (laughs) (laughs) So, what have you been playing, David? Well, I've gotten a few games to the table lately, a couple that are very different. Uh, The first game I played with Ellen is a game called Chai by Steeped Games. I picked this one up right at the beginning of the pandemic when I was just trying to support local businesses who are still going through a hard time. So I went to my friendly local game store and saw it on the shelf. I was like, oh, perfect. I'll grab this one. And it's been one of Ellen's favorites. So that was that was really nice. It is a kind of like a bejewel style game where you have a market of tea ingredients that are sliding on three different tracks. Uh, and you could, when you go to the market, you buy them. But you can buy all of the adjacent tea ingredients that are the same type. So you are trying to make smart purchases to buy your tea ingredients cheaply to serve customers. And whoever ha- and the customers have various demands for their tea, and whoever has the most points wins. It's a very light game with an extremely lavish production. So it's very nice components all the way through. Something that definitely adds to the cost of the game. But since board games are already luxury items, when you when you get a product like a board game, you want something that's nice, something that's sturdy and looks good on the table. And Chai is just an intro board game that has just great tactile feel all the way through it. Do you... I mean, yes, good components are nice, but do you think it has a good price point for the game? That one's tough to answer. For the amount of times I've played it, yes. But I like to play my games quite a bit. Absolutely. Uh, So if if you were only going to play it once or twice, especially if you were only ever going to play it with two people, I would say probably not. But it is a good game, and it's a great production. I mean, I'm on the team of uh, playing your games as many times as possible. I think I'm going to try to do what you said in a previous episode and make sure you play all of your games at least once. Yes, yeah, so this year I am trying to play every single game one time throughout the year. And I've actually started recording my plays for the first time ever. In uh, an app? In an app. BG Stats. Wow. Yeah. So right now, I just won the second game that I was going to talk about this day today. I just won Great Western Trail, bumping my uh, win percentage up. This is the first time I've ever beat Ellen at Great Western Trail, and it feels amazing let me tell you right now this just feels like an athlete after the game talking about why he's the mvp let me tell you michael i bought cows i built buildings i did it all right (laughs) it's all about the cows it's all about the cows i got my head in the game so i did get to play great western trail which is a fun rondell style deck building game and that's a lot of that's a lot of board game jargon (laughs) So a a rondel game is kind of like a worker placement game where you're moving your worker along a specific path of actions. And you can move forward a few spaces. Wherever you stop, that's the action that you take. And you're winding your way up to Kansas City with your cattle herd, trying to sell your cattle for the most money. And you use that money to build buildings, buy new cows, increase your train infrastructure. And it's just all the mechanics work together really well. Uh, It's a heavier weight game than I normally play, but this is probably one of those heavier weight games that I'm going to keep in my collection, and this is like the standard a game has to be that has to be at least this good to enter my collection. Would you swap it out for the second edition? Probably not right now, 
mostly because I have the expansion. Uh, mm. I have Rails to the North, which we played with today. And on top of that, I also have a promo tile, uh, which is an additional building tile. And honestly, those are the only reasons that I won. Um, because as you said, Great Western Trail is pretty much all about the cows, but the promo tile really makes the uh, building strategy worth it, which is what I like mm. to do. And normally Ellen trounces me. And this was the only time where I was like, hey, Ellen, guess what? Buildings win this time. <laughs> Did you run around the uh, your apartment afterwards after you won? Heck yeah, took my shirt off, did the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I do want to give a shout out to uh, DG on our Discord, who immediately recognized a board game component as soon as you posted it on our Discord in our uh, Game Guesser channel, where you uh, put a random board game component and people guessed the board game. He immediately got it. It was great. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> the only other time I have been just as impressed is when you, when somebody was playing Sagrada. Was that you? Yeah. Yeah. And Jillian, shout outs to Jillian, got it immediately. Like I had, I, I thought my phone buzzed like right away and I just immediately started typing. Wasn't fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good game. I, I should, uh, I played it on, on the interwebs a couple times, but I need to play it in person. Yeah, come come to my apartment. It's only yeah. a few hour flight. <laughs> yeah, you only live halfway across the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping back to that question you posed, if you don't have Great Western Trail, but you're interested in it, definitely buy the new edition. It's much prettier. I have the Angry Old Men edition, but the uh, the new edition is more pastel colors, and it it looks gorgeous. Well, that's what I and that's what I've been playing lately. Do you know what we also played over the holidays? That leads me to the road to the 100 over the holidays. But whenever we talk about the holidays, we're talking about Turkey Day. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's still a holiday. <laughs> yeah. So over the holidays, David, some brothers, and I can't remember which brothers. There's just so many of them. <laughs> you, you fall under the category of brothers. <laughs> so yeah, over the holidays, uh, David, some brothers, and I all played Istanbul. David brought his copy for the holiday, and uh, we sat down and played. Istanbul is designed by Rudiger, Rudiger Dorn and uh, published by AEG and Pegasus Spiel, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah, this was uh, it's not a typical kind of game that I play. So this game takes place... And what seems to be the late Middle Ages of the Ottoman Empire, Istanbul, you are, you've got these pawns that you're moving around a bazaar, and the bazaar is four by four tiles, and you're moving your pawn around to complete different tasks at different shops and all that kind of stuff, and you're linking actions together. It, uh, has, it has a really interesting mechanism that I have never seen repeated where it's like Michael was saying, it's you've got a, a worker. It's not quite worker placement, but it's more like a worker, worker movement. It's, it's yeah. definitely worker movement. You're dropping off your assistance and you can only move as far as the number of assistants you have before you need to go back and collect them all. Yep. So basically, you've got a little pawn that you're moving around this grid and as David described them, they're called assistants. They're little discs. 
<laughs> That's all the themes <laughs> they're you little, can apply to them. <laughs> they're little discs, and you can move... Uh, you have to drop discs off as you move around the grid. And once you run out of discs, you have to go to the fountain and recollect all your assistants, also known as the discs. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it has... You're, you're right in that it has that interesting mechanic that I haven't seen in any other board game whenever it comes to worker movement of how to limit your movement and how to work strategically around those kinds of things. And this is definitely one of those games that you benefit from repeat plays. You can see how that movement mechanism really forces you to plan ahead your actions as you drop off your workers in a specific order to take the best path to victory. And I, I wanted to clarify that before Michael threw me under the bus, because I had played this game several times before uh, any of my brothers had ever played it, and I just took them to the woodshed with that one. I destroyed everybody. <laughs> I, I will go ahead and say that I did the worst out of the four of us. Uh, I struggled with the concept more than the other two brothers, <laughs> so <laughs> yes david kicked our butts threw us under the woodshed and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and did i find it a good mechanic even though i struggled with it i think by the end of it i got the hang of it and i became more comfortable with with it it's, it's just like you're limited by your movement with your assistance and you are trying to chain actions together smartly as you move around the bazaar. And I just... I thought I was chaining them together smartly. I was not. Not not efficient <laughs> enough. I was just not efficient. So <laughs> I, I think it's a... Like I said, it, it warrants repeat, repeat plays. The game Absolutely. really starts to open up once you understand uh, the, the that, mech, that core mechanism. But I find it fascinating that no other game has really copied this mechanism you can't i I don't know mm -hmm. of another game that does something like this and that's that's one of the reasons why i think it it deserves its spot in the top 100 it's a good solid game that no other game quite does it's it's unique and therefore it stands out can you name another grid movement game uh or forbidden deserts grid movement yeah but that's uh that's cooperative are we counting hex grids i mean you've got <laughs> you got a bunch of war games that are probably hex uh, that are grid movement. You can yeah. think of chess. That's grid movement. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Got one. <laughs> uh, nailed it. Uh, but nothing that's got, like grid movement. Also worker placement. Or not worker placement, but like worker worker action action selection for yeah. worker movement. Yeah I'm, trying, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of another grid movement game. Some games just don't fit neatly into our fancy board game categories. And I think Istanbul stands apart. Uh, I mean... A lot of the, the limitations of this, where you drop off the assistance, kind of remind me of the limitations that you see in Rondell or Rondel uh, yeah, style games. Uh, but it's, you know, two dimensions instead of one dimension, where you're moving around in a circle, you're moving around a grid instead. So it kind of reminds me of that. That is an excellent insight. Thank you. But yeah, uh, definitely agree. I would like to play it again. Uh, you said that you've played it a lot on the app. Yeah, it's. it's one of the more expensive apps, I think it was like seven bucks to buy, but uh, this was when Ellen was taking a lot of trips last year, and I was trying to work my way through the top 100, so I thought, hey, treat yourself. 
So I bought the Istanbul app, and I really enjoyed it. I, I play against the hard AI, which is why I was able to kick your guys' butts. Uh, mm. So I'm constantly playing that on my on my phone. And uh, Ellen found it at a an antique mall for fifty percent off, and I was like, "Heck yeah, Ooh. definitely get that game." <laughs> yeah, because this is one of those games that's on the road to one hundred that's still pretty available in retail. It's still it's, it's still available, and it's also on the more accessible end. Um, yeah. The top 100 tends to skew heavy Euro. <laughs> you're saying that you're saying this game's not heavy? It's not that heavy. It's I would call it medium light. <laughs> mid mid midweight. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a nice mid midweight worker grid movement, action economy. My economy was in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> uh top 100 game. I really enjoyed it. Rather play it in person. I'm not sure I would get the app. I like playing with other people. That's a discussion for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely want to play it again with you whenever we meet up. I'll make sure we get it to the table. And up next, we have Game of the Fortnite. The part of the show where we talk about a board game that should be held above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And the game of the fortnight for this fortnight is Champions of Midgard, published by Gray Fox Games. Designed by Ole Steinness. What you said. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name. <laughs> I don't know that either. So Champions of Midgard, I think, was the breakout game for Gray Fox Games. It really put them on the map. It is an entry-level worker placement game where you take turns placing your meeple on action spots littered throughout the board, reserving it for yourself and taking that action, gathering resources, hiring warriors to your crew, and then sailing off to exotic lands to find monsters and kill them. All with a nice Viking theme. Yeah. In case you didn't figure it out by the title, Midgard. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember where this game quite fits in the development of worker placement games. I know it wasn't the first, it wasn't the original worker placement game, but it seems like, at least for a good period of time in board gaming, this was one of the games that whenever people thought about worker placements, they said Champions of Midgard. And I think that's because it's such a welcoming production. It's bright, vibrant colors. Most of the worker placements games up to this point had dour looking men on the covers this one has brighter colors with and promises action-packed fun with the vikings on the front it also as i was saying is uh it's more of an entry-level board game so it's not going to have the the hour-long rules explanation this one's fairly simple uh you could just start you could probably start playing within 15 minutes after after a teach I don't think I've played in uh, a few years, and I could probably teach this super easily within 15 minutes. It's just it's just so accessible, and that's why it became the, for the longest time, it was the gold standard of worker placement games. Oh, you want to try worker placement? Try Champions of Midgard. And I think one of the things I like about worker placements is worker placements should make you make difficult decisions. You always want to go to more than one spot. You have exactly. to you have to prioritize what you need over what you want. Each round, you start with a lot of options available, and so you need to prioritize your needs, and then 
And then your options slowly whittle away throughout the turn. <laughs> I will go on record saying that worker placement is my favorite mechanic. Mm-hmm. I own I own way more than one worker placement game. There was a day Ellen and I were trying to figure out what game we wanted to play, and I think I suggested Everdell. And Ellen said, no, that's a worker placement game. We just played a worker placement game. And then she chose to play Champions of Midgard, which is just also a worker <laughs> placement game. <laughs> oh, so it's her yeah. favorite mechanic as well. It's yeah, it, it, it's really it's really nice. I just uh, man, it's just like you said, having multiple options and then having to choose what you need, and, and then not, your options slowly slipping away from you. It's not only choosing what you need; it's hoping and praying that what you need is still left. As it goes around the table. <laughs> exactly. As the options slowly slip away each round. And the thing I like about uh, Champions of Midgard that you see in a lot of uh, different worker placements is the different phases. Because you actually have the placement phase and then, then you have the adventuring phase. So it has uh, a nice pace to the game where you are sending your workers out into the village and all that kind of stuff. To prepare your warriors for battle, and then you go in battle, so... That might be another reason why this game has done so well. Worker placement is typically a more Euro-style mechanic. Mm-hmm. But after that placement phase, you go to that battle phase, where you're rolling all the battle dice you've collected, all your Viking warriors, which is definitely more Ameritrash, so it appeals to a wide, a, a wide audience. And... Going on the record, Board Game Famous is not anti-Ameritrash. It's not. Uh, I, th- I don't think anybody would say that based on how we both yeah. love Twilight Imperium, one of the most Ameritrash yeah. games out there. Yeah, and you're right. The uh, the dice rolling of the warriors whenever you're combating these large monsters, these large mythical creatures on sometimes a great and long voyage adds a lot of drama. Are you going to be able to roll enough hits? Are you going to be able to roll... Enough defense that you can actually keep some of your guys. Are all your dice going to be blanks and every single warrior is going to die? <laughs> yeah, Which is typically so, what happens for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that it's that second phase of each round where you're actually battling and you're rolling the dice that provides nice drama for what's happening. So, <laughs> And lest we forget... Another one of my favorite mechanics of Champions of Midgard is the shame mechanic. Oh, man, the um, shame. In in general, there are three different locations at which you can battle monsters in this game. You can battle the troll. You can battle some wood monsters. Draugers. And you can battle some faraway... What is... Draugers. Uh, and you can battle some faraway sea monsters. If nobody fights the troll in a round, everybody gets shame. If one person, and only one person, gets to fight the troll, if one person fights the troll, then they get to take one of their shame tokens and give it to someone else. Basically, they're going back into the village. It's like, oh, this guy's a coward. He left you guys to be attacked by the troll. Blah, 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 blah. Viking <laughs> theming, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you're, really, you're really just being... A gossip at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're being a gossip. And these shame tokens are worth negative victory points at and the end worth, of the game. And they're worth more negative points the more you have. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so the more you get 
So it, it creates a nice balance where you're incentivized to fight the troll every once in a while. And definitely uh, Game of Thrones added a little bit to this part of the game where we all stand up and go, shame, shame. Shame, shame. <laughs> and there are a couple expansions. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when we when I edit this these episodes, we're laughing at something that we said that I had to edit out. And it just, the laughter just doesn't make sense. <laughs> like in uh, like in episode 13 that just released we're going through uh like hey check out our discord check out our email and each time we say one we're laughing because there was a section of like 20 seconds i had to edit out just cursing the entire time <laughs> no not cursing but i was just like just talking <laughs> over each other so like we couldn't get it right <laughs> it's just like uh, i have to leave it in michael just thinks that our email is so funny <laughs> hilarious <laughs> so david do you give champions of midgard the coveted board game famous walk of fame gold star award you know i don't think i do like you said it's coveted so it's reserved for the upper echelon of all games and while i am grateful for champions of midgard i'm i'm glad it's in my collection I don't think it is currently the gold star standard for worker placement games. I'll gladly play it, but I'm going to reserve that gold star for a different game. What about you? I, I too, will not give it a gold star. I do really like this game. It was one of the first games in my collection. Um, it was a gift for me whenever I was still in college and couldn't afford board games. Uh, played it many, many times. I really enjoyed it. The theming is great. The drama is great. The pacing is great. But uh, I think I'm going to sell my copy to someone else. Bequeath okay. it to the world. Uh, I think it is time for someone else to enjoy it. And like you said, I don't think it's necessarily um, the gold star of its genre. So I know we didn't award it the board game gold star, but after... After talking about it for a good solid 10 minutes, all I want to do is get it to the table and play it again. <laughs> I'm okay if I don't. <laughs> Next on our podcast is Brother Talk, the part of the show where we talk about whatever we want. And this fortnight, I wanted to discuss house rules. And so we're talking about whenever you guys play board games, are there any house rules that you have? And whenever David messaged me this idea ahead of time, um, you know, I, I I just shot back the first thing that was in my head. And that was, oh, yeah, my house rules uh, for board games are uh, take your shoes off at the door. <laughs> then he informed me that he was talking about house rules for games. <laughs> because this is a board gaming podcast. <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, a house rule is when you read the rule book to a board game and go, I don't want to play it with that that way. I'm going to make up my own rules to make it more fun. Maybe not make up your own rules, the, your entire rule set, but uh, maybe tweak it just a little bit. Add one or two house rules to really give that game the twist that you want. So Michael, are you pro house rules or do you like to play rules as written? I have spent the better part of three days obsessing over this question. I have thought about every single game that I've played in the past year that I can remember, and that's not a lot. Um, <laughs> I should really start writing these. Should really start writing these down. <laughs> and I was trying to think, 
is there any game that we house rule? And then I realized that the problem is I usually don't teach the games. So if something's a house rule, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that brings up a very important point. When I teach a game that I have a house rule for, I explicitly state it. I say, this is not how it's in the rules. This is how I like to play because it's yeah. more fun. The one rule that I thought was a house rule, and I checked the rule book prior to us starting to record, uh, is actually a rule in the game. Uh, and that is in the original Dune game, whenever you get Chome Charity, you have to declare Chome Charity <laughs> at the ta- at the table. <laughs> I just thought we were being silly and yelling at the table. <laughs> but I like being silly. But nope, that's an actual rule in the rule book. So I am I am very pro house rules, mainly because uh, board games are a product. You purchase them; they're yours. You can do whatever you want with them. And if changing the rules just a little bit makes it more fun for you, go nuts. Who cares? Who are you hurting? I have added several house rules to my games just to increase my enjoyment, and I, I always make it clear. This is not how it was intended to be played, but it's way more fun. An example of a house rule that I like is there's a game called Decrypto. It's a code-guessing game where players are divided into two teams, and they have a tray of four words in front of them. They pick up a code that has three numbers associated with their words, and they give hints to their teammates to try and get them to guess the right code based on the words that they have. I don't think I'm doing justice over podcast because this is one of those games that I really think needs to be played to be understood. But if there's a tie in this game, the tiebreaker is teams take turns trying to guess their opponent's words. If they've listened to the clues well enough, they might have a good idea of what their words are. And I play, you always try and guess because it's just so much fun. That's like the most fun part of the game. Why would that be hidden behind the tiebreaker? Wait, 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 wait. You're not supposed to always guess? You're not supposed to always guess. Oh, we always guess. Exactly. It's <laughs> way more fun. <laughs> I guess we are also doing house rules. <laughs> Everybody wants to know what the words actually were. So, I've actually, I believe this is a house rule. Uh, I, I believe I have applied a house rule to my favorite game, Everdell. Because the rules themselves weren't really clear to me on uh, the Pearlbrook expansion. It comes with a little frog meeple. And the rules kind of make it sound like it can only go to the sideboard. Where the uh, where the frog ambassador is supposed to go. House rule, that frog can go anywhere. It's way more fun and your, uh, your engines get way bigger, way faster. Frogs, they're dope. <laughs> <laughs> I opted to play house rules for several different reasons. So I've talked about making a game more fun for myself. Uh, I apply a house rule on confusing rules. Uh, if I don't have the time to search on the internet to find what other people have discussed and clarified about a specific vague rule, I make a decision. And if it's fun, it stays. There are a couple of house rules that have been made that are to speed up gameplay. A famous example in the board gaming community is for Carcassonne. The rules originally written was you draw a tile at the start of your turn, you figure out where to place it, 
you place it, your turn's done. Uh, the community figured out it's way better to draw a tile at the end of your turn. So while ever, everybody else is going, you can decide where you want to place your tile. So it gives you time to think in advance. And it really speeds up the game. And it was so well received that in, in the later printings of Carcassonne, they changed that house rule to the actual rules. Playtest your games, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that Carcassonne wasn't playtested. <laughs> I think the common theme about everything you said, and you, you said it in another form, house rules are good when they make the game more fun for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I am pro house rule when it meets those criteria. That's it. You know, if everyone's having more fun, that's great. We do have to warn you of the dangers of house rules, though. You can quickly turn a game into a Calvin Ball scenario. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of, well, you did say playtest your games, and that is a good point. It's also, and it should also be noted that designers often playtest their game a bunch, and they know what they're talking about with the rules that are written. And the most famous example of a game being ruined by house rules is Monopoly. Uh, nobody plays that game by the actual rule set anymore. I think that game is just bad to begin with, it's, but... <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. But uh, the game of Monopoly is only supposed to last 45 minutes to an hour. If it's lasting longer than that, it's because you you don't know that you're playing with house rules that have been passed on to you. For example, you get no money for landing on free parking. That's just a nothing space. You get nothing. You don't put $500 in the middle, artificially inflating the pot. You, you get to park there for free. That's what you get. <laughs> the biggest rule for Monopoly that a lot of people don't follow, I think, is the if you land on a space, you either buy it or it goes up for auction. So Yeah, and people don't realize that they are playing with house rules. That's another danger. You have to announce that you're playing with house rules. You yourself found out you were, not, you were playing with a house rule. Indeed. But we still had fun, so... <laughs> yeah, that one's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot easier to house rule party games like that. Mm-hmm. In in longer games, you have to be careful, because a lot of the rules were designed for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Because, the, like David said, the designers have playtested this game. So the rules exist for a reason. <laughs> And without a musical intro, our next section is Mail Time. And this fortnight's question comes from... What do you mean comes from? from? It's, it's the same location all our, all our questions have come from. The boundless void that is the internet. Uh, this question was stolen from the internet. I mean, directed at us. <laughs> Dur- direct... I'm sorry. Uh, this question <laughs> came from an anonymous person on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> The question of this fortnight, and it may be a very difficult question to answer, how many board games is enough board games in your collection? I think we are very well suited to to answer this question because we have a vastly different board game collection size. I could use more board games, and I'm already talking about selling some of the board games I do have, but that's just me Marie Kondoing all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is the sign of a healthy collection. You are... You, you want more, but you're also selling what you don't need. Exactly. So I think I have, and I need everyone to stay seated if you are seated, and stay standing if you're standing, or whatever. So don't uh, move? Don't, don't move. All right, don't, 
freak out in shock. I have about a dozen and a half games. I don't have a lot of games. So. How do you have half a game? <laughs> dozen and a half. Yeah, right. So but eight, how do you 18, have... eight, 18 games. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> a dozen and a half. <laughs> you had 12.5 games. That last game is Monopoly. <laughs> I have about 18 games. So comparatively that, to a lot to a lot of people in the hobby, that is not a lot. I have played all my games as well, except for one, which is, and we've discussed this previously on a podcast, is I have The Crew, and the only reason I haven't played it is because we're playing my friend's copy. So. <laughs> that honestly surprised me. I would have guessed you had less than that. It helps when you have a lot of smaller games. That's true. My collection currently stands at a little over 100. Uh, it fits on the shelves that I have, but just barely. I'm in the process of selling some more games. Do you want me, you want to buy any board games, Michael? Um, what are you selling? Probably nothing you're interested in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> you could, uh, I'll sell you the Pride and Prejudice board game. <laughs> it's random trivia from the board game, uh, from the book Pride and Prejudice. Which I have not read, nor have I seen the movie, any of the movies of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I guess my answer for this question is, as long as you're not exceeding your storage for your games, and you're playing all of your games, you're, you don't have enough. Because <laughs> I always want to yeah. make more. Uh, I, I always want to own more. But I need to sell the games that I'm not playing. So I'm currently staring at a stack of about 13, 14 games I'm selling. Because I just don't, I don't play them very often, so they gotta leave the collection. And just to highlight that word, collection, that is the word that the hobby uses, but it's not, we don't think of our collection like other hobbies think of their collection. Board games are meant to be played. Right. And if they're not being played, if they're not being used, I don't necessarily like having them in my quote-unquote collection. There are board gamers out there who like to have a collection. They are collectors. They collect board games, whether or not they get them to table often. But that's not my philosophy. Board games are meant to be played. Uh, and, and if you're not playing your board games, yeah, if you're not playing your board games, you probably shouldn't keep them. So, Oh, yeah, it's time to it's time to get rid of them. I'm honestly surprised how many board games you can fit on a shelf. Um, so I have the Ikea Kalax shelves. It's a it's a fairly industry standard for uh, shelving board games. I, t I said I moved. I removed about 14 off of the shelves. My shelves still look full, to the point where it doesn't look like I took anything off the shelves, and I don't know where these were beforehand. Like, I don't know how I fit everything on there beforehand. When you remove games from your collection, how do you balance the two things of games you don't want to play anymore versus games you want to play but you don't think you're going to get to table? I can understand people keeping that second group in their collection, games that they want to play but they find it difficult to get it to get to table versus board games they don't necessarily feel excited to get to table how do, if, how do you balance that in, in your mind if you if you can get it to the table you'll find a way so i typically still pass those on for example i'm staring at a couple of keyforge boxes which is a head-to-head -head deck dueling game and i love keyforge but nobody will play it with me so it's time to sell them uh, I don't think I'll get it to the table. It's time to move on. I do have one game that I'm keeping back that's really big, so it takes up a lot of room. I should probably sell it, but I really like it and haven't played it in years. <laughs> this is the one that's barely survived the cut every single time I cut games from my collection, and I just need to get it to the table one more time. So I, I do hold games back because of that. 
I'm a little more lenient on those games, but not by much. I still think if if you don't see yourself getting it to the table anytime soon, it's time to let go. Uh, Twilight Imperium, 4th edition, that's a difficult game to get to the table. I always find a way, once or twice a year. So that one's staying in my collection probably indefinitely. Or until 5th edition comes out. Oh, 5th edition is unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the success of 4th? That and the, guy, the designer has left the company, so... Oh, uh, yeah, you are correct. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, so so I guess my answer is, as long as you got the shelving space, you can play each game. Oh, and I guess money is another, uh, don't, don't ever, don't ever go broke for board games. A lot of board gaming cafes have a library that you can use, so. Find yourself a friend who's a sucker for board games. I'm not saying that's why they're my friends, but it definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably how I make most of my friends. Like, hey, do you like board games? Do you like cardboard? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we come to the end of another podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you want to ask us a question or have any comments, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or join our Discord in the link below. Or follow us on Instagram using the link below. Or find out where we got our music from with the link below. <laughs> and to the Brothers Murph, you are also allowed to use those links below. Uh, it would be great to talk to you and tell you how we're so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.